Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you again for the, the words of Jesus that we can read this morning. Uh, thank you for the, the wisdom and the light and the breath that your word brings to us. Father, open our eyes to what you would have for us, our ears and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So what can we learn about prayer from how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, of course, he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. So what what can we learn about prayer from that? Right. So if you couldn't hear Patrick, he said we, we have the freedom, the liberty to express our wishes, our desires, our requests to God, to bring him anything. And then what's the second half of what we need to learn? Karen? That we ask for his will to be done. Right. That ultimately we want God's will. Right. And part of that, and again, this is just such a helpful verse on prayer is Romans 8.26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So God knows we don't know how to pray. Because <laughs> we, we are not omniscient. We don't know what's best. We don't know what's ultimately good for us or what the best timing is. So we're coming to God as finite, fallen, very limited creatures, and we can ask anything. But we, the bottom line is, okay, God, since I don't know everything involved, I don't know a lot, <laughs> your will be done. I want what is best by your definition. And that's a fight of faith, of course, and, and we don't trust the Lord on that. That is, he's good, but um, that's how we are called to pray. What can we learn from the story of Peter's denial of Christ? Seems like there's at least a couple lessons there too. Right? Right? Anything else we can learn about how Peter had such confidence at first and then that kind of disappeared? We shouldn't make promises that we might not be able to. Yeah, that's not a bad one, right? Over promise and under deliver. Caleb? I think that despite like our best intentions to like not like be sinful or like do like willpower to gut it out, like God's intentions prevail, and like okay. to us, like we, like He is what God wants to happen will happen, uh, regardless of our good intentions or okay. bad intentions. Good. And then, what's a real hopeful thing we can learn from Peter's fall? That the Lord still loved him. Right. Anything else? I mean, that's true, Paul. Right, which is also good news. But you know the fact that Peter uh, 
Jesus prayed for Peter and says, I prayed for you that your faith not fail, and when you are restored, you will strengthen the brethren. So um, Jesus knows it's going to happen, but he's not just going to let it happen by itself without praying for Peter to be restored and brought back where he needs to be. And then what was the main issue in Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin? It's the main issue. That's right, they really don't. So what, what do they make that trial about? His identity. His identity, right. Who are you? And we saw three key terms of who Jesus is. So tell me what those are and what they mean. Messiah. Okay, Messiah or Christ, and what does that mean? The anointed one. The anointed one, very good. God promised to send a king and a deliverer that would be specially anointed, specially sent to his people. And so the first question is, are you the Christ or not? Are you the one that God promised to send? And then where does it go from there? Son of man. Son of man, what's that? Well, what was it when Jesus used it? Well, actually, Daniel, but right, right. Daniel 7, about uh, one like the Son of Man coming and being given a kingdom. He's over all people. All the nations will serve him. His kingdom will last forever. So here's this anointed one God promised. Here's the one God uh, says will have a king that, kingship that never ends, and it, all people will be his subjects. Jesus adds on, seated at the right hand of God. What's that mean? All authority. Yeah, place of highest authority and honor. And then their conclusion, even though he hasn't used the word yet, what, how do they connect the dots to say, so you are the son, of God. son of God? So how did they get there? How did they get from Christ to son of man, son of God? How did they get there? Okay, Anyone good. Anyone who fulfilled these things had to be the Son of God. Right. You had to be more than just a man. <clears throat> right. And so even like when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Remember, he combines it. You are the Christ. He doesn't just stop there. He says, the Son of the living God. So Christ and the Son of the living God go together. Or in the Gospel of John, John says, um, many other things Jesus did, which are not recorded in, these book, in this book, but these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. So Christ, Son of God, are kind of intricately entwined. No one short of full deity could fulfill the role of Christ the way the Bible portrays what the Christ will be. So that's, they were doing good thinking, um, and then how did Jesus respond to their question, so are you the Son of God? And he says what? All right, so is that evasive? That's saying, well, you say that, but I'm not saying that. Like in, in some circumstances it could be, but not for him, because he's been saying it the whole time. 
Okay, that's true. He has been saying it. And where else did he use that language? We'll actually see it again today, too. Right, that's common. That's right. We'll actually look at that today, Ed. So that we're setting up this category of what does it mean when you say, you say that I am. And, and there's, I think, the one that comes first helps set the tone for what the other ones mean. Is it, is it like just saying it but not believing it? Like you say that I am, but like you're not, you don't actually believe it? Yeah, that, that's kind of part of it, I think. So I'll, I'll help you out here. Um, Judas has the audacity to say, is it me? Remember, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Judas goes, huh, I wonder if it's me. I mean, there's a one out of 12 chance. And Jesus says, you say. <laughs> or you have said it yourself. So Judas already knows the answer. And Jesus is just affirming what Judas has just said. And so when the Jews say, or Pilate say, are you this? And you say, you say that I am. It says, yes, I am, and you already know that I am. That's a double punch. <laughs> yes, I am, and you know that's the answer. <laughs> you're, you're not asking out of curiosity or ignorance. You already know the real answer, Judas and Jewish leaders and Pilate. You know the real answer. Okay. So any questions or comments on what we saw last week? Okay, let's go into chapter 23 then. Would somebody please read the first three verses of Luke 23? Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. When they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Okay, so there it is again. Okay, so what are the three charges? We had three identity issues as far as before the Sanhedrin, but those aren't, Pilate doesn't care about that, right? He's a Roman governor. So what are the three things they bring to Pilate as charges against Jesus? Misleading the nation. Okay. Forbidding to pay taxes. And then calling himself Christ. Right. So there's three, three charges. And how valid are those three charges? One for three. One for three. Exactly. In fact, one is a big distortion because remember they did ask him, tried to trap him, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And remember how he answered? Render to Caesar what's Caesar's. He didn't say don't pay taxes, but they kind of twisted that for their own advantage and said, yeah, he says we shouldn't pay taxes, which is a good way to get in trouble with the governor, right? And misleading nation sounds a little iffy, but he did say he is the Christ, and so that's what Pilate picks up on. And uh, there's that you say again. So you, you know enough, Pilate, that that is what I am saying. Um, in 1 Timothy 6.13, uh, Paul talks about how Jesus made a good confession before Pilate. So if he's just evading the answer, <laughs> he wouldn't be making a very good confession. So he did claim to be Christ. He acknowledged it when Pilate asked him.
So any questions or comments on that so far? The King James says that Jesus answered him, it is as you say. Yeah. Yeah, some just flatten it out and just say yes or yes I am or you say it is as you say. There's a variety of translations. Some seem if or fuzzier than others, but they all are, are not meant to be fuzzy. They're very clear. Okay, let's read 4 through 7. Would somebody read those, please? So, what is Pilate's verdict? He's innocent. Okay, we're going to see that two more, actually three more times, but solid two more times. So, he's innocent, not guilty, um, and in theory, uh, a governor's verdict should have settled the matter. But the Jews aren't happy, and so why does Pilate send Jesus to Herod? Right. That combined with he's kind of just done with it. Yeah, it's like, um, I'll pass the buck here. That's Herod's problem. I don't want to mess with this. I already said he's not guilty. Herod can deal with this. Okay. At verse 3, after all those accusations, the only one it seems like he asked about is, did you say you're king of the Jews? Like, I feel like he kind of rolled his eyes at the other two. All right. (laughs) Maybe so, yep. Okay. So the story continues, 8 through 12. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some signs. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Twelve through twelve. Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Okay, thank you. So why was Herod glad to see Jesus? Yeah, so he'd always heard about him. Yeah, I mean, Jesus is famous, and he thought, I could get a personal miracle right here. Um, it's like a magic in the, show. Yeah, <laughs> in the Jesus Christ Superstar, which I don't recommend because it's very blasphemous at parts, but at the scene where he's before Herod, he says, walk across my swimming pool. Like, Do a miracle right here on the spot. So how does Jesus respond to Herod? Nothing. No miracle, no words. Just there. He's not going to appease Herod. Um, And we already have seen that again and again in the Gospel of Luke. The Jews are constantly demanding signs, and Jesus is not beholden to do signs on demand. He'll do them when it's right, but he's not going to do them to keep people happy or sort of convince them. Because remember, signs don't bring belief. We saw that again and again in Luke and in John. 
So any questions or comments on his trip to Herod? Okay, let's read 13 through 16, please. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Okay. So the verdict of Pilate and Herod is both not guilty. So if he just declared Jesus innocent, why punish him? I mean, if you go to court and the judge hits the gavel and says, not guilty, but we're still going to punish him. (laughs) Wouldn't you feel a little bit wronged? So why is he going to punish Jesus even though he's innocent? Yeah, he's the Jews, right? It's like these Jews are going to just be on my back until I do something with Jesus, so we'll hurt him a little bit and then send him on his way and I should be done with this. So um, John gives us a much fuller account of the conversation between Pilate and Jesus. I just want to turn to that a little bit. Go to John 18. John 18, and would somebody read 33 to 38? So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told him, I find no guilt in you. Thank you. And then would somebody also read 19, 9 through 11? again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Okay. I just love that phrase about you would have no authority at all unless God gave it to you. You think you're in charge here. You think you can threaten me with crucifixion, which is what's going to happen. But the only reason you're who you are and where you are is God gave that to you. So just a reminder, you know, God is over all human authority uh, in government, in jobs, in anywhere. God's in charge. So any comments or questions about Pilate and his interview with Jesus? 
Does it not seem strange that he doesn't mind that he calls himself king? I mean, does Pilate not care about that? Because there's a lot of little kings and he's over them all, or what? That's a great question. Um, of course, the Jews will say, we have no king but Caesar. Right. So they're, you know, oh yeah, we're all of a sudden real loyal now. <laughs> we don't want to own him as our king. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know what, what's feeding into that, because in theory you think that's a threat. Somebody else is trying to be king, like Herod, the, the Herod when Jesus was born. It's like, there's a king that's been born? I'll kill all the babies, two-year-olds year old, old and under, to make sure I wipe out that potential threat. And that's, they're not going to be a king for at least another 20 years, but I'll kill them now so I don't have to deal with a threat to an, as another king. So you, that think would be the mentality of a lot of people in power. Like, I can't have any rivals. Um, for whatever reason, Pilate didn't seem particularly distressed um, at that point. And again, he's ar- Jesus has already been beaten before the trial. He's been mocked. He's got, you know, so it doesn't look very kingly at that point. So maybe Pilate's looking at him like, this guy doesn't look like anything <laughs> to worry about. So I don't know, though, for sure. Any other co- thoughts or comments about Jesus and Pilate? Okay, let's read 17 through 25 back in Luke 23. Now he was obligated to release one man to them at the festival. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city for murder. How far did you say to go? I'm sorry. Through 25, please. Oops. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent and demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Okay. So for the third time we hear the verdict, he's not guilty. And then twice we're told Barabbas is guilty of insurrection, like domestic terrorism, and murder. So you have somebody claiming to be a king that looks pretty harmless and a known insurrectionist and murderer. Who do you release as governor? (laughs) Well, obviously the murderer and the insurrectionist, right? Boy, talk about a cave-in, right? He just sold the farm... Um, to keep the Jews happy. But doesn't it sound like last Sunday? The just for the unjust. The guilty one is spared. The innocent one suffers. So just a little mini picture of substitution. Barabbas should have been crucified and isn't. Jesus shouldn't have been and is. It wasn't just a fluke of Pilate being weak need and no spine, it's God's plan to provide a substitute for our sins.
Go to Acts 3. Peter will talk about this a few weeks after Easter. Acts 3. And look at the back and forth, the contrast. Acts 3, 13 to 15. See how Peter makes use of that story of Barabbas. Um, Jesus is the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer instead. So this contrast. You put to death the prince of life. Isn't that an amazing phrase? Put to death the prince of life. So any comments or questions on that exchange between Barabbas and Jesus? Paul? Right. Um, you know, they had somebody that was in prison for an insurrection already. Right. And so you have this mob of people out there crying and yelling at you, crucify him, crucify him. What if that turns into an insurrection and then Pilate gets in trouble? And so he's kind of in this hard place, like, what do I do? And so he caves and says, I'll keep the peace today. <laughs> there won't be an insurrection today. What's a Jewish guy getting killed again? I mean, we do it all yeah, the time. <laughs> Happens all the time. No big yeah. deal. Okay. No one, will, no one will be mad at me. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, um, must be Matthew's gospel. He washes his hands like, oh, look at me. I'm innocent. I'm not doing anything here. <laughs> and, you know, both Peter and Luke tell us he desired to let Jesus go. So that was plan A is, okay, I'll punish him. We'll let him go. Will be done, and it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't because, like you said, have all these people mad at me, and maybe they'll tell Caesar, and that might go bad for my career. So, okay, <laughs> I'll just kill this Jewish would-be king, and we'll at least have peace today, right? Okay, any other thoughts on Pilate or Barabbas or Jesus? It's hard, obviously, like I'm rooting for Jesus to like, no, just like let him go, like the whole time, but like. It's God's plan. Like we want, like it's good for us for Jesus to die. So it's it's a hard it's hard reading the story because you're like just let him go. Like you're so <laughs> close. Like Jesus, like you're ready for him to leave, but you don't want him to get like go. Like right. we need him to die. Like for us, we so, do. Yeah, so we weird. really it's do. So weird. It's hard reading the story. It is conflict, kind of. And uh, if you're still in Acts um, from Acts three, just flip over to Acts four. We did this when we talked about compatibilism again. But somebody read twenty seven and twenty eight. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, they did what your power and will ha- had decided beforehand should happen. Okay. So it is this eternal plan of redemption, and it's using people like Pilate and Herod and Jewish people and Roman people to carry out this plan from before the foundation of the world 
so that we are forgiven instead of Jesus is spared and we're not spared. So, good point, Caleb. Good. Any other thoughts on, on that? I think it's interesting. Um, in one of the Gospels, it says the Jews said, let his blood be on us and on our children. Um, they were talking about the guilt of that. But we as Christians, that's our claim. Let his blood be on us. Wash us and cleanse us. Hmm. Never thought of that way. It wasn't original to me, I heard. Okay. <laughs> I, I want a footnote, Gary. Documentation needed. <laughs> Any other thoughts? This is good. Any other comments? All right. Let's go to 26 to 31 then, please, back in Luke 23. Luke 23, 26 to 31. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Okay, thank you. Um, So what future event is Jesus referring to here when he's talking to these ladies? The fall of Jerusalem? Yes, yes. And uh, again, we know from Josephus and others, it was horrendous. (laughs) Uh, to be in Jerusalem when that happened. And so Jesus is, remember how when he talked about his return, um, woe to those who are pregnant and nursing, and here he singles them out again. He has this special compassion for moms (laughs) during terrible times um, that he knows it's going to be bad and it's, you know, he just kind of has a special note for women in that situation. Where will we see verse 30 again? Right. Why don't we turn to that? Go to Revelation 6. Revelation 6. Would somebody please read 15 through 17? So what Jesus is talking about as far as the destruction of Jerusalem and how awful that will be is just a f- foreshadowing and just a tiny picture of the ultimate destruction and judgment that's coming on earth. And so that same language is going to be used. I'd rather have death by a mountain falling on me than have to face the wrath of the Lamb. 
That's just not a category most of us have. Right? Well, how would you like to die? Well, I would just go to bed and, and die in my sleep and never know it. It's like, no, I'd, I'd prefer to die with a mountain falling on me before I have to face the wrath of the Lamb. So they know it's going to be awful to face him. Um, now it's a, an offer of mercy and grace. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But there, a day will come when it's too late, and then it's the wrath of the Lamb, not the mercy and grace of the Lamb, and it's all over. So just interesting, and there's that foreshadowing of future events, of a, another future event. So, Any comments or questions on that? Okay, let's go back to Luke 23. Luke 23, would somebody please read 32 to 38? How does Jesus pray for those crucifying him? Forgive them. Forgive them. Isn't that just incredible, isn't it? <laughs> Who else will pray a similar prayer for those executing him? Stephen. Stephen, yes. Go to Acts 7. Acts 7. Would somebody please read 58 to 60? not just Jesus who can pray for his killers. Uh, Stephen does, and throughout church history, various martyrs have done that as well. Um, Sherry? Just to bring back Sabina Lohra. Yeah. That's more recent. Right, right. Good. I don't know if you could hear. You want to say it a little louder, Sherry? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) So um, there's a a story, or uh, a movie we had at church called... um, Sabina, the Nazi years, and it's about Richard and Sabina Wurmbrand, who were in Romania, um, became Christians um, right before the war broke out in Europe, and so they experienced prison time and problems and bad things in under Germany, and then <laughs> Richard ends up having it under communist rule in Romania as well. But they were praying for the people that were harming them. 
And uh, again, just God will give us the grace when we need it for that, if, when that comes or if that comes in our lifetime. So if you don't have the grace to do that now, that's okay. It's called future grace. We will have the grace when we need it to do that. Any other thoughts on how Jesus prays for his executioners? Like in the first verse, like two others were crucified with him who were criminals. Like, yeah, like he wasn't. Yeah, like just kind of stressing. Yeah, that. yeah, that's throughout the narrative, isn't it? <clears throat> Jesus isn't that he doesn't deserve to die. He's righteous. These other ones aren't. Barabbas wasn't. Everybody in the story isn't except him. Okay, what is ironic about what the mockers are saying to Jesus as he's hanging on a cross? Yeah, that's a kind of a, a strange thought, isn't it? Or just the irony of um, he can't save himself if he is to save us. Kind of like what you were saying, Caleb. If, if Pilate does save him, so to speak, then we're not saved. And so, same thing, if Jesus just said, okay, I'm done with this, I'm, I'll, I will save myself, to, and I'll show you I really am the Christ, I said I was, then, everybody, then we're all in hell. And so he can't save himself because he's there to save us. So there's an irony in what they're saying, isn't there? It's like, you had this power to save, where is it now? And as Brett said, it's happening right now. He is saving us. Okay, any other comments or questions on that section? Kind of really quick, too, is like it's easy to glance over, like there's the little prop, like prophecy fulfillments. So that sentence about dividing up his garments comes from Psalm 22, which was written about a thousand years before Good Friday, and along with this like eyewitness account of what a crucifixion looks like before crucifixion was invented. David is talking about bones being unjoined and being pierced, being mocked, all these things, coals divided. Crucifixion wasn't even existing yet. But God put it in Psalm 22, and Jesus is fulfilling it detail by detail by detail. I saw another. Brett? Well, and I, to your, you pointed out, we were looking this morning about this, this phrase, and you, you say that I am, or you say that, this idea that you're, you're not saying it, but you know it. Is that what's going on there in 37 and 38, when they're saying, you are, if you say you are the king of the Jews, save yourself, and then the next line is, there was also an inscription over him saying, this is the king of the Jews. I mean, is that Luke still doing the same thing? Like, Maybe, yeah. Like you're, you're, you're denying what everybody else is seeing as reality. But there's this big sign saying, yeah, that, yeah he is. <laughs> um, there's an interesting, um, is it John, where the Jews come after Pilate and say, don't say this is the king of Jews, say he said he's the king of Jews. And he says, what I've written, I've written. So it's like, there it is. 
for everybody to see, <laughs> this is the king. You don't want to acknowledge it. You kind of know he is, and he knows he is, and everybody in the world will know someday he is. So yeah, there's these all these ironies going on, uh, and again, we want to just learn how to read slowly and just catch all these details and these fulfillments and these. Oh, here's this something that's getting again. We keep saying this theme. So good, thank you. Well, we'll close this morning with one of my favorite passages from Good Friday. Um, this is a, a text I used for my mom's funeral, a text I used for my neighbor's funeral, a text I use pretty much for any funeral of someone I'm not sure where they're at uh, with the Lord when they died. Um, so it's called The Thief on the Cross. And let's read 39 to 43. who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. For this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So what are some things you see in that story? How many criminals were mocking Jesus when this all started? Both. Matthew tells both criminals from both sides were mocking him, but at some point, one of them stops mocking and calls out the other one, for mocking. And what, what does this penitent thief say to the other thief? Before he, Let's talk about that first and then we'll talk about what he says to Jesus. But what does he say to the other criminal being executed? We are receiving the rewards of our deeds. Right, we deserve this. And he doesn't deserve this. So he's already got a lot, doesn't he? And then what does he say to Jesus? Remember me when, you, when I, we come into the kingdom. Okay. So what does it mean to remember somebody? Think. Receive me. Um, receive me. Okay. Take me with you. Oh, okay. Oh. Kind of like when Jesus tells the parable of the wedding feast, when people come in, Okay, so the opposite of like you yeah. acknowledge me that the you do know me. Okay, okay, good. Um, or I always think of like Joseph telling the is it the butler, the wine tester, uh, when when you get out, remember me. <laughs> I'm I'm not I didn't do anything wrong. Remember me. So think kindly of me. Uh, take thought of me. Um, help me out. <laughs> and and what does his request presuppose? Yeah, that there must be a kingdom afterwards because Jesus sure doesn't look like a king right now. He acknowledges he's like your kingdom. He's uh-huh. acknowledging that Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Jesus is a king and there's a kingdom that's going to happen after we're both dead this afternoon. Isn't that something? 
there's definitely like a heart change there too, but doesn't like there's physical signs too, like it got super dark, overcast, like there's some supernatural. Right, there's definitely a lot going on. he was like, oh, like there's got Something's going on here. Yeah, yeah, darkness on the face of the ground. It's black in the middle of the day. Yep, yep, good. It's interesting, he says, don't you fear God to the other guy, and they live their lives as... Well, I don't know. I don't know what their whole life was, but at least they were rightly accused for the crime that they're being crucified mm-hmm. for. So, did he fear God in his life? Maybe at times he did, but at this moment, he recognizes. Yeah, he we're going to stand before God. the judge of all the earth in a few hours here. Don't you have any? Doesn't yeah. that sober you up <laughs> a little bit? Good. And then Jesus' answer um, today, not just someday in the future. Today, before sundown, you'll be with me, not just on your own, but with me in paradise. So just want to read this quote from John Piper. I read it on Good Friday, but it's just such a good quote. This is a wonder. Here is a dying man declaring a lifelong thief accepted, loved, and heaven-bound. Here is grace that sweeps a lifetime of guilt away in an instant. Here is a power that says death can hold neither you nor me. Here is an authority that decides who goes to heaven and who doesn't. Here is an immediacy that says it will happen this very day. No purgatory, no testing, no penance, just absolute forgiveness <laughs> Excuse me, and a f- acquittal and cleansing and acceptance. So that's our Jesus. Last minute, this guy can't do anything for Jesus. Can't do any religious good deeds. Can't get baptized. Can't do anything. He just simply puts his faith in the mercy of Jesus. And Jesus forgives and welcomes and says, you're going to be with me in heaven today. I just think that's a beautiful picture of of Jesus. So let's close in prayer and go worship our Lord in a few minutes here. And Patrick, would you close, please? Lord, we do. Um, we thank you for this uh, reminder again of uh, Christ's innocence, and yet uh, your divine plan to use him for our justification when we were guilty and sinners. We pray that you would uh, speak to us this morning. Pray that you would uh, use the worship time to bring us closer to you and. May you be glorified in that time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.